Rise, Peter, kill and eat. As God came to Peter, he gave him a vision. And in this vision, he showed him these famous animals coming down the sheet, animals of all kinds, it says. And in Acts 10, verse 13, he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And this verse has been preached from pulpits so many times. And for most of the time, it becomes a sermon about diet. It becomes a sermon about how God came and he did away with all those foolish Levitical laws, which we don't need anymore. And that has been the conversation in many Christian churches around the world. But then on the other hand, you have people who have read the verse, read the context and have come to realize, well, actually, this this verse is not about a changing God, changing laws or God changing diets at all. It's something so much deeper. But yet then our focus has so often been in trying to combat what the verse does not say, missing what it actually does say. And that's what I think is the scary part is, is we've we've come at this verse from so many sides, I think, except the right side. What is God actually, actually trying to teach Peter and us here. And I want to submit to you, it's probably more than what you think, because it's got everything to do with a prophetic word given to Jeremiah, the prophet in Jeremiah chapter 16. And it's got everything to do with a, a deeper level of intimacy with the Lord that leads to a greater revival around us than ever before. Now, I'm just going to tell you up ahead right now that we're going to be trying to address first what the verse is not, because I know there's a lot of you guys watching from all types of backgrounds. So we're going to talk about what it's what it's not really saying. And many of you will know that stuff, but then we're going to get to the meat, no pun intended, (laughs) the meat of the matter uh, about what it is actually saying. So um, I would like for us to start off to just think about the fact that what what Peter is really experiencing here is a vision. Okay, and visions and dreams. One of the first things you need to know as we head into this is visions or dreams cannot be interpreted just literally based off face value. In fact, if you remember uh, the book of Daniel, chapter two, we have Daniel coming and he's called up by the king to interpret the king's dreams. You remember that even a pagan king knew that he could not interpret his own dreams literally, but he needed someone who has a gift of interpretation, who has been gifted by God, who has been given revelation by God about what is actually being said. So the good news is that with this this vision that Peter received, we don't need to speculate. We don't need to wonder about what is what does it actually mean? Because God actually comes to Peter. And even though Peter is initially confused by the the literal vision he is seeing and by any kind of literal interpretation that he may ponder, God comes and brings the spiritual interpretation to Peter. And I want us to look at that, but then we're going to build upon that and go much deeper than most people do. So um, let me open this up for you. So Acts chapter 10, verse 11. And so we read, and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being laid down by its four corners upon the earth. 
and it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. Now, here's the kicker. When he says in verse 15, what God has made clean, do not call common. If we can figure out what the what is that God has made clean, it solves a lot of issues, right? Now, this is really what God is about to give the revelation on this vision to Peter about. And when we just read a few verses down, we go to verse 28 here. In verse 28, we read, and he said to them, this is Peter now relaying what the vision, what God showed him. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call any person common or unclean. Right. So now we see that when we go up to verse 15, where we wondered, well, what is it that God says he has made clean? Well, verse 28, Peter says, God has shown me I should not call any person common or unclean. And so this is not God coming to change biblical law and to declare Levitical laws abolished. In fact, what God is simply rather doing here is he's talking about sharing the gospel with people, right? That that Peter, because Peter's about to go to Cornelius, a Gentile and unclean person from the perspective of Jewish people, because that's what Jewish people saw non-Jews as. Now God comes and shows Peter, you're believing a man made lie about how people are unclean. I'm telling you it's not. I declare them clean. You can go because that's it. Now, this is it, right? This is what he says. However, this is where we stop. Right. In our in our in our debates and in our argumentations about this verse, um, we so many times enter. We stop right here, right before we get to the most important part, really, about what this is all about. Because let's just be honest. It's really strange, the vision that God is giving Peter. Even if God is just coming to Peter and being like, hey, Peter, I'm talking to you about people. Why is God showing unclean animals? Why is God showing unclean animals and saying, Peter, rise up, kill and eat? And Peter's distraught by this. It even says, Peter says, I have never eaten anything like that in my life. Why would I do that? Which, by the way, is kind of strange because, you know, that means that Jesus never ate unclean because Peter was with Jesus. But, you know, that's a story for another day. Um, but the fact of the matter still remains, you know, why does God still use this weird vision? Why couldn't have God showed it to Peter in any other way that he can be with people that are Gentiles? You see, and that's really the question. That's really the question. Now, I want us to. Um, look to look at some hints because it's there's a few hints actually given in this chapter of Acts chapter 10 verse uh, 12. So I'm just going to open this up for a second here for you again. And what we see is that in verse 12, he, it says that in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, many kinds, not just clean or unclean, but both clean and unclean and animals of birds of all kinds of things, right? Or in there. And then it says in verse 13, he says, rise, kill and eat. Now that's interesting verbiage because rise, kill and eat is what, what 
it's like Peter's like a hunter, isn't it? It's kind of interesting, like this talk of, of hunting and kill, killing and eating an, an animal, right? And then in verse 15 here, we see another thing. It says, and the voice came to him saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. Okay, And, and we've already established that that what is people. And so now when we put all of this together, we start seeing that, okay, so God is talking about people, all kinds of people, because remember the, the animals represent people, all kinds of people are coming down the sheet and God is saying, rise, kill and eat. So is God telling Peter to hunt people, all kinds of people for the sake of the gospel? I mean, wouldn't that make sense considering he's about to share the gospel with people, Cornelius? Now, this gets even more amazing when you start thinking about the context of the first century. Because first century in the first century, you need to understand that Gentiles were seen as unclean animals to some in Judaism. OK, and in fact, we see Jesus kind of even hinting at this uh, when we read Matthew 15, verse 26. You may you will know this verse. It says, and he answered Jesus speaking. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master table. Right. Jesus is with a woman who is a Gentile and he is using a word play. Because his, he's with his disciples who have some of this baggage of that's been floating around in his in their day within Judaism, that Gentiles are unclean and you don't eat with them. That's why the Pharisees had so much so many issues with Jesus eating with unclean sinners, right? But now Jesus is using wordplay and he's saying, Well, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, right? He and that word for dogs that he uses for is actually like a a, a softened form like a little dog because he and then she comes and she says because of her faith. Yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You see, see the, the woman saw what the disciples at that point still hasn't seen yet. And that's why and that is the very thing that God is actually now showing Peter that God is showing mercy even to the Gentiles, right? And so now what we start seeing is Peter's getting this vision makes total sense for a man in Peter's position who understands from his culture that uncle that unclean animals are a picture and has always been a picture and, and of P of unclean Gentiles. And that's what they even called them like dogs. And now when we open the book of Jeremiah, we start seeing why God said rise, kill and eat. So let me open this for you here. When we read Jeremiah 16, verse 16, what we find is a beautiful verse and it says, behold, I am sending. I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters. And they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. Can you see what's happening? God is 
first has first come to the disciples and he said, I am making going to make you fishers of men when he first called them. You remember? And then he took them and he guided them. He led them. He taught them all about how to fish for men, how they will take what they have learned from fishing and just learn. And, and practically that analogy is going to be ta- taught to them on how to now fish for men. But now he says, I will then afterwards come and raise hunters who will go to every mountain, every hill out of the cleft of the rocks and find the people. What is that all about? We must read the context of Jeremiah 16 and then we'll discover it. Right? we see in Jeremiah 16, if I'm going to go up to verse 14 here, and we're just going to read on from there a few verses in this chapter. And we see it says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But it will rather be said as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their own land that I give to their fathers. And then verse 16 We read, Behold, I'm sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterwards, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain, every hill, out of the clefts of the rocks. And then I want to, I want to, well, before I read on, let me stop there for a second. What does it mean for him to say that I am sending for hunters? What, What is that about? And what is it about that he's talking about these, these people who are, first called out of Egypt, now out of all the corners of the earth. You see, we celebrate the Passover every year and it's written, we celebrate it in remembrance of how God delivered Israel out of Egypt. Amen. But he says there's coming a day when what we will think about, how we will think about the Lord is we will think about him as the one who has brought his people from all the corners of the earth to the place of the promised land. What is the promised land? His holy mountain, Jerusalem. And in Revelation, that is when we receive that promise. When Yeshua comes back, he will be setting up his kingdom in Jerusalem. And he is now busy gathering his people just before he finally comes. He's busy gathering his people. You are the gathered people. That's why you're listening to this broadcast, because God is gathering you. God is calling you back to his house, preparing you for what is coming. Because he says, and this is what I want to read to you in in verse 19, just a few verses further. It says in verse 19 over here, O Lord, my strength and my household, my refuge in the day of trouble to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. You see, God, God, the prophet Jeremiah goes further and says that, look, there these people who are coming from all over the earth, starting to rediscover God, they are realizing that they have inherited lies. They are realizing that they have been taught man-made things in which there is no profit. And in the realization of these things, they are putting them off and they're putting on 
the worship of spirit and truth that Jesus said, Yeshua said, he is calling us to. I'm calling worshipers of spirit and truth. They will not worship me on this mountain or in that mountain, but in spirit and in truth. Not held back by the lies. Brothers and sisters, there are so many lies in the world today, in Christianity, in the in even in churches regarding what it looks like to worship God. Many people have distorted it. They, they've they've missed it in terms of of the root of the truth of the foundation of the, the importance of keeping God's instructions, his law to turn from their sins. The people in this world do not even know what sin is anymore. But 1 John 3, 4 says sin is the transgression of the law. You cannot make up what sin is in your own mind. You cannot decide it for yourself. God's law's purpose is for uh, for to, it to define what is sin. That's why it says do not murder. That's why we know we shouldn't murder. It says do not steal. We know, oh, stealing is a sin. Do not commit adultery. Oh, committing adultery is a sin. Oh, don't break the Sabbath. Oh, breaking the Sabbath is a sin. Oh, did I, did I, did I catch you on that last one? We have inherited lies that have told us, oh, these things are bondages. It's a bondage to rest. It's a, or it's a bondage to keep the feast days that Yeshua, that Jesus kept all the time. Every time he never missed one. And then we have inherited other lies in terms of his spirit, of, of how we, our God is, a, is not a supernatural God anymore. Our God does not do miracles. Our God does not desire to do miracles in and through us. He, has he not sent a Holy Spirit to indwell us? Has he not desired and said, I desire to work in you with power, I desire to cast out demons through, I desire to heal the sick, I desire to speak in tongues, to prophesy, to give words of knowledge, to give dreams, to give dreams and visions to your sons and daughters and grandfathers and grandmothers and dads and moms and children. Is this not what the Lord has desired? But yet there as men, men have, have risen up to say that are we, we, we don't need that today anymore. Or, or we, we don't, we, why do we look all, why do we run after supernatural things is what men have said. You see, it's not about running after the supernatural, but when you run after God and worship him in spirit and truth, the supernatural starts following your life. And if it doesn't, it's not that there's something wrong with God, it's that there's something wrong with you. It's that there's something wrong with your worship. It's that there's some there's lies that you have inherited that have stolen these things from you. Because if you believe a lie about who God is and what he's called to you, you will lose out on the full calling and measure of what he has in store for you. And so, brothers and sisters, these are some of the lies that we have inherited. And so Peter goes in to the house of Cornelius. He he has been told to, to him by Jesus, you're a fisher of man. But now God has come and showed him a vision to say, Peter, I'm making you a hunter now. I'm going to make you a hunter to rise up and kill and eat, which is which is a, a, a phraseology of of saying, I am sending you into the household of even Gentiles. Even those unclean, quote unquote, animals that you thought they were, do not call common what I have called clean. Have I not made all of these children? But before we get to what it means to be a hunter, 
we must really first understand what does it mean to be a fisher of man? And so I'm going to break down to you, for you tonight here. What is it to be a fisher of man? And what is it then to be a hunter? Because if you understand the first, you can more easily understand the second. Now, the first thing that I'd like to, I mean, if you've, if you've ever gone fishing, um, I, my dad took me f fishing when I was a child. And, and if you've ever gone fishing before, a lot of these things will click easily for you. But you must understand some things about fishing itself, because when Jesus told uh, Peter and the rest, I'm making you fishers of men, he was speaking to fishermen. Th that was their profession, right? So they already had some basic concept of what it's like to of that skill that of how to catch a fish. And that skill was then reapplied by Yeshua on how to catch catch men. So one of the first things that we need to understand when we want to fish is we must understand when is an opportune time? What is the weather like? Some fishermen would even argue uh, the time of day matters, right? They would argue the tides matter. And the point is simply that when we go fishing for men, it is important for us to have our eyes open towards the opportunities that God gives us. That means that you need to be awake to God's spirit. Always look just like any fisherman, always looking at the weather, always looking. Is this the opportune time to go fishing? You look at the weather around you around in your environment. You're continuously asking the Lord, Father, is there anyone here that you want me to touch? Is there anyone here you want me to cast my line towards? And so that's very important for us, brothers and sisters being awake and speaking with the Lord constantly. Okay, that's the first thing. So know when to go out and fish. Number two, you need the right kind of bait. If you're a serious fisherman, you know, they'll they'll tell you, well, you know, bait is everything. They will they will even argue that the right bait is there for the right fish. And so what is bait? What What, what is your bait as a believer? You see, God has said that our bait, if you will, what is supposed to be our light, what is supposed to be the thing that makes us attractive is the fact that we look like our Messiah, that you shine your light like he does. He said, come to me and whoever drinks of me, of the living water I have, he himself will become a spring of living water, too. If you get a taste of Yeshua and you become like him, other people will want where you got the living water you got. That means that we have a responsibility to not be hypocrites. You can preach and preach and talk Bible all day, making Facebook posts and comments and, and going to church and, and, and whatever, debating with friends. But if you in your lifestyle, you're a hypocrite, you do not practice what you preach. It's all in vain and means nothing. And you're going to do more destruction and harm than good. Because brothers and sisters, we're living in a generation of people and young people, especially right now, who are sick and tired of the hypocrisy that the institutionalized church has faced. Because look, we are we are in a world right now where people, they want truth. They really want the truth. The problem is, is that they're looking for it in the wrong places because they've been turned off from looking to Christianity because in the mainstream Christian world, they have been they, they have only witnessed hypocrisy. And so it is important for the sake of our children and their children's children that we start putting on 
a lifestyle that is not a lifestyle of hypocrisy, but that everything we do is in empowered and is in line with what we preach about the word. Because we all have the knowledge, right? We're all good with the knowledge, but we're not really always that good with the action part of that. The next part of it is that, like I mentioned, you need the right bait for the right type of fish. If you are speaking to a new ager, someone who's coming out of witchcraft or something, someone who's got a background of that sort, well, they're going to be very interested in the supernatural. That's why, what, what attracted them to new age beliefs in the first place, right? So it's important then to approach them from that perspective, to put the bait on your line that is, hey, did you know that we also we actually serve the one true God who is the supernatural one who does miracles and wants to infuse you of his Holy Spirit and empower you to do miracles through you to set people free? There is power in the name of Yeshua to set people free. People are after power. They're after freedom, but they're looking in the wrong places. We need to understand that there is power and preach that we serve a God of power, not just a God of knowledge, not just a God who has done things in the past, but a God who is now doing things in our midst today and will do in the future. We do not serve a dead God like the pagans do and dead idols. We serve the living God. And is my question is, is, is he alive in your life or do you only serve and worship him in knowledge? And not an action in terms of seeking out, Lord, I want to see more of your spirit's workings in my life. But then if the person that you're speaking to is a new ager, excuse me, not a new ager, an atheist. Well, this is a whole different ballgame now because an atheist by nature is someone who is who's possibly got a background of of being angry at a God. And now that anger is being being shown, right? That anger is being is coming forth. But usually they're actually angry at a God that's not even the one true God. And when they describe the God there that they think of, when they think of God, you'll notice that that may not even be the God you believe in. I found that oftentimes atheists describe the God that they don't like that I don't even believe in because it's a God that's not the God of the Bible anymore. It's a God that other people have said is the Christian God, but he, they, they've misrepresented him so much that the, the world of atheism wants nothing to do with that God. But if we could only show them the one true God and the fact that he is loving, the fact that he is just, the fact that he has judgment on one hand, but on the other hand, he's also calling his people and sinners home to set them free as well. So my point is simply that who are you speaking to? Because you can put one piece of bait on your line and be like, well, whatever fish need to bite will bite. And the rest of the fish, that doesn't matter to them. They, who cares about them? No, you need to be targeting who you are speaking to by using examples and speech that they can understand. And like Paul said, being all things to all people. That is what the role of a good evangelist and a fisher of men is. All right. The next thing that you need to understand about fishing is that you need to be patient. And this is probably the thing that turns most people off of fishing, isn't it? Okay, you you, you got everything. You're so excited. You get the line, the the bait on the line. You're there with your dad. You just you you tossed in the line, and then you're looking around like, okay, dad, now what? Well, son, now we wait. We wait, 
yeah, we wait for the action. And sometimes that wait, it, it takes a while, doesn't it, right? And so that patience is the most important part of fishing. That patience that we have to have for people. You see, sometimes what we have tried to do is we have tossed in our lines. And, you know, if you've ever gone fishing, you'll notice that fish, they start biting, they start nibbling on the bait. And you can see your line just starts just being touched a bit by fish. And then you can be overzealous and you can start pulling that line in. But then you, you pull it in and you see, well, there's no fish there because you were over ambitious and not patient enough. You see, brothers and sisters, you need to understand that when you're speaking to people, you need to pay attention to them all the time. You know, it's not just about speaking, 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 speaking. It's a you need to listen and look at the person more than what you're just speaking at them about. You need to be observing them, looking at them, seeing how they respond in their facial expressions and in what they say. And then when they are ready, when they are really taking the bite, that's when you actually start pulling them in more with the love and patience of Christ. You know, I think sometimes we're over ambitious and we just want to, you know, in some some circles, it's always been about just let them get them to say the prayer, get them to say the sinner's prayer. That's the point. That's God didn't call us to take people into the sinner's prayer. He called us to make disciples. He called us to tell people the truth of the matter. Talk, tell them about repentance, tell them about the depths of the gospel of and, and the law of God and their sin and their need for a savior. And then that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be like in that moment. Yes, I'm I'm going to accept Christ and whatever. If they do, that's great. But sometimes it's all about planting seeds. And so um, I think sometimes we want to jump in the water after those fish. Sometimes we want to take our bait and we want to just shove it into the, the mouths of fishes. We want to force things on them because we're not patient and we're not gentle. But God calls us to be patient and gentle with people. So not to not be uh, uh, because you don't want to be an irritation to people and you don't want to scare them away. Like, man, you jump in the water after those fish, they're going to be away. You're never going to be able to catch them. They're too slippery. But if you've got a good bite on your line and you're patient, that can do wonders. Now, one last thing I'll just say, this is the last thing about this this analogy that I want to use for, for you tonight. And that is that you must realize what success is. Sometimes when we when if you catch a fish, you'll reel it in and, you know, it's like, oh, this fish, you know, this fish is maybe too small or this is not the type of fish that we're going to be able to eat tonight. Right. So what do we do? We toss it back. Right. And so the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes it's just not going to be the right time yet for that person that you are witnessing to. And but the success is not the fact that we took it home. The success is that we gave them a taste of the Messiah, that we planted a seed. People will respond very differently to that. But we do. Our mission remains the same. We do the same thing. Now. I want to get to really what we've been building up tonight too. And that is what God is calling Peter and everyone else to. 
in this generation. You know, he started with Peter, rise, Peter, Peter, kill and eat. But that was a prophetic word for, I believe, what we are sitting in now and what we are facing today. You see, when you think about Peter being a fisherman first and now this introduction of this idea of becoming a hunter, there are two differences, two stark differences. The first thing that you need to understand is that a fisherman is always after they're usually after a particular type of fish. In fact, when you look at Matthew 10, verse five, this is what Yeshua told them. He said, the these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus, Yeshua did not tell his disciples just to go to everyone from the beginning. When he called them to be fishers of men, he said, go for a particular type of fish, a particular type of person. And he said to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he even said, don't go to the Samaritans. But now God is with Peter. He gives him a vision of these animals representing people saying, rise, kill and eat Peter. And this is these are Gentiles and people of all nations of all kinds like animals of all kinds. And he says, go and hunt them because now it's not just about the house of Israel anymore. I am calling you. The Lord says, I'm calling you into the clefts of the rocks, into the, the he says, every mountain, every hill. Uh, I will I will send you out as hunters. And that is what you are called to today. As you're listening to this, the Lord in this season, brothers and sisters, I believe he desires to bring about revival. Do you know what it is that was the thing that shook the early, the, the early, the first century for it to become the early church it did? It was the fact that there were hunters around and those hunters have dissipated over the ages. Today, I believe God wants to bring that back. He wants to raise up hunters because what is it to be a hunter? You see, when you're a fisherman, you're patient, you observe your prey and that's good. When you're a hunter, you're patient and you observe your prey. Just, be, you know, if you're going to go and hunt a deer, you're patient and you're observing your prey, just like a fisherman. But the difference is, is that a hunter has a sudden strike. The fisherman waits for the for the fish. The hunter goes when the right time is there for a sudden strike on its prey, on, he, on, on the prey of whatever it is. And in the same way, that's what happened in the first century. There was a demonstration of the spirit and power. There were deep people who went like Philip went to the Samaritans. Because remember, we just read about how Jesus, Yeshua, he says to the disciples, don't go to the Samaritans. But then later, Philip goes to the Samaritans. And what does he do when he goes to the Samaritans? He hunts because he goes in with a sudden strike of the demonstration of the spirit of God. And he goes in there. And what does he do? He calls out demons. He heals the sick. That is literally what Peter Philip does there. And that's the sign that changes people. That's the sign. Those are the signs that cause these Gentiles and these Samaritans to be like, wow. And it said that Peter, Philip baptized many. And eventually Peter and John, they hear about all of this. They're excited. They come down 
from Jerusalem to Samaria, and they baptized the Samaritans in the Holy Spirit. This was the hunting they were involved in. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you that God is calling us into a place of reaching into those parts of the world that are lost, reaching into the the town of the Samaritans, if you will, and at the same time reaching for our Jewish brothers and sisters. We are grafted into Israel. If you become a believer, that's who you are. But God is now calling people of all types in this world to also become grafted in. He did not give you what you have for you to keep to yourself. He gave you what you have for the purpose of you being a light. Do not take your light and hide it under a basket. Because ultimately, those who do that will face what Yeshua said in Revelation. I'll remove your lampstand from you if you continue to not be the light that I have called you, designed you to be. Brothers and sisters, God is after people today. He is the lion of Judah. A lion is a hunter. God is out calling people, looking for people, hunting people for his kingdom. He is all and that's just this is a phrase to just illustrate his passion to get his children back. And my question, though, is, is are you sharing in the passion that the Lord has for the nations? Or are you busy doing your own thing, doing your own Bible study, sharing your own knowledge amongst yourself? But yet the people who God is actually hungry to invite and have back into his kingdom, to be grafted into Israel, for them to be ultimately taken up to Jerusalem to become the bride. That is what he is hungry for. But what are you hungry for? Where where are you? Are you like Peter? who went into the house of Cornelius after the Lord came and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Or will you be like someone who says, no, I don't want to do that. Those people, they're unclean. I'm busy with my own thing right here. You see, brothers and sisters, make no mistake. The enemy is described by Jesus himself. Yeshua said in 1 Peter 5, 8, that the enemy is a lion also looking for someone to devour. Be wary of him. You see, the enemy is also hunting. He is looking to win people into his kingdom. He is trying to put demons in people. He is trying to kill God's people. He is trying to put depression and anxiety and fear on the people of God. He is trying to, 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 to do that. But but what are we doing? While he is busy trying to win people, what are we doing? Are we on God's side? Are we hunting for the Lord's side? Or or have we been distracted? I'm going to pray right now for us regarding this. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would come to us, Lord. And in this season, Father, of of as, as we face this reality of what you're calling us to, Father, I pray right now for everyone listening to this, Lord, that you would give them the passion and the hunger to become a hunter, 
to become one, to be a demonstration of the spirit everywhere he or she goes, to become one who would ferociously enter that town of the Samaritans, that town of of Nashville, that town of New York, that town of Charlotte, that town of, of wherever, and be the light and be someone who goes forward. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding about how to approach people with gentleness and patience. Help us, Lord, to discern people. Help us, Lord, to have boldness, O oh God. Lord, I pray, Lord, for everyone listening to this, Lord, right now, for a baptism of your spirit right now. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would immerse them with your spirit and power, that you would, in this new season, Lord, breathe on them a new anointing, that would allow them to go forward and let all of the bondages that they face that have kept them from this, that the enemies try to enslave them by. We command all of those bondages right now to leave your people. Father, I thank you, Lord, for freedom to everyone listening. Hey, brothers and sisters, all of you in the in the chat, I want you right now to in the chat, come and post your prayer requests. As I'm praying, I'd love to pray for some of you in the chat as well, because I know that the things you're going through will be everything that other people who are going to be listening to this are going to be going through. So please head to the chat right now and let me know about what it is that I can pray for. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand this revelation. And help us, Lord, to know your heart. And Father, help us to be very cognizant of the the, the plans of the enemy, what he is up to. And help us, Lord, to not be threatened by the enemy anymore. You see, brothers and sisters, I feel like for many of us, we have been so felt so threatened, so afraid of what the enemy is up to in his kingdom. Because we've not understood that, man, God has such power over the enemy in his lies and everything that he has, that he tries to do. And we must understand that God has given us great authority over the plans of the enemy. But you must take up your arms. You must take up your authority. Uh, I'm just going to look at the chat here. So Christopher says he's got unknown internal pain for the last eight months, stopping him from doing everything he can to hunt. Pray for me, brother. And so, Father, we just pray right now for, for Christopher. Right now, we speak to that pain he has in his body, and we command that pain in the name of Yeshua right now to leave. Father, I thank you for freedom right now. Complete deliverance in the name of Yeshua, Lord. I thank you for healing over his body. I thank you for equipping him, Lord, and empowering him, Lord, for him to not be kept back in the name of Yeshua. Cast all your burdens on him, brother. So, Lord, we just right now, for everyone listening to this, let's just cast our burdens before the Lord. Father, we bring all our burdens, all our anxieties, all our fears of the future and the present and everything we're facing right now before you. God, we we say, Lord, we repent for where we have. We have not trusted you. And God, help us, Lord, to trust you deeper, to know that you are the king. You are the 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 actual lion of Judah, the and yeah, amen, amen. Steve said, pray for the unity of his body and all our communities and for the fire to be reignited in my spirit like never before. I mean, I think that's amazing. Steve, unity is something that is so, such, such a lacking thing. 
I feel. And God is calling us into unity. God is calling us not to compromise, but yet into unity and not to not to try and um, die on hills that, like I've said before, that Yeshua didn't die on. And so we just pray, Father, that you would help us to discern about this and help us to be in unity with brothers and sisters. Lord, and I pray that you would bring everyone into that fold, Father, of worship and spirit and truth. Gina, pain from joints. Lord, we just pray right now for Gina's pain in her joints. We speak to anyone, Gina and anyone else who's got pain in their bodies now in the name of Yeshua. We command all pain to leave their body now in the name of Yeshua. And every unclean spirit of of, of uh, disease and infirmities. We command that right now to leave anyone listening to this in the name of Yeshua. I command you to leave right now. Amen. Amy, Amy said she and her friend wants to go out this Monday to go to the streets and be bold. We are doing it. Well, amen. Amy, praise God. Thank you so much. Amy, I, if I remember correctly, you actually got healed, I think, two live streams ago. And I just praise God for that. Um, and we're going to pray for you and anyone else also right now who's desiring this to step into this. Lord, I pray for boldness for anyone who wants to go and be bold. Go into the streets and just speak to some people, meet some people with your love. Amen. Amen. Lord, thank you. Chris says, please pray for me as the farming seasons begin and for wisdom and for healing on a foot. Okay, I see. Uh, Father, we just pray right now for Chris's foot. We pray for wisdom and healing for him. In the name of Yeshua, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for a miraculous free freedom in his foot and healing in his foot, Lord, for his work. In the name of Yeshua, amen. Miss, M Miss LMT, for my mom to become saved. Also an unborn child being born in an abusive family. So, Lord, we just pray right now for anyone who's got family members who desires their family members to see you, Lord. I just pray, Father, for our family members, Lord, that you would open their eyes and hearts, that they would get a hunger, Lord, to step into the, the calling and the amazing inheritance, Lord, that you have for them, Lord, and for them to not miss out and let that pass them by. Okay. TNT said, pray for Jen for provision and peace in her home. Amen. Dawn for provision and arrest from the enemy's attacks. Peter for salvation. John, that Yahweh would help him in his walk and my family for deliverance. Lord, we just pray for all of those things in the name of Yeshua for deliverance, freedom from the enemy's attacks, salvation. Amen. 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 So, brothers and sisters, there's a lot saying, you know, I pray for me for to be bold. I don't know how to speak the truth in love, you know, and I think that that's 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 hard sometimes. And it's really key for us to to try and really wrestle with the Lord on that and go into our prayer time and ask him, because that's the thing that he needs to mold in us and our character. There's a humility that spending time in his presence brings. And so my advice, number one, would be for us all to spend more and more time in the presence of the Lord, because then when you it's like when you bad company corrupts good character, but good company builds up you into a good character. And what is the best company in the world to have? Is that not to be in the company? of the Lord Almighty himself. 
And so if we struggle to walk in love, if we struggle to share in love, I would first say make sure that our intimate life with him is number one. And number two is that it's practice. That loving people is something that, believe it or not, it takes practice. And that when we go out into the world and we actually force ourselves to love people we don't know, strangers. And in other words, when I say force, I'm not talking about forcing some kind of a feeling because love is is not just a feeling, right? Love is an action first. And so when we do acts of love towards strangers, then that love, that feeling of love comes afterwards. And that feeling of love develops in us. And then we would more easily manifest that to people around us. But it all starts, you know, people, they, they don't understand that evangelism is for all people and so important because it changes you more than it changes the person, people you're ministering to. It's, it's not optional. There are people with an office of evangelism, but we're all called to evangelism in our day to day. And that will change you as you just step out in love and just do simple, small things. Go out and when you're doing your day to day things, you know, when you're doing grocery shopping, look for someone while you're putting stuff in your cart. Be awake. Be looking for a prey, if you will. Now, forgive my, you know, examples, but in context of tonight, be on the lookout for that opportunity that the Lord has for you. And when there's someone you think could need something, if the Lord puts them on your heart, it doesn't need to be that seem that it looks in the physical that they need something. But if he asks the Lord, Lord, what is it you want me to do in this grocery store? And go up to someone and do what the Lord puts on your heart. Do radical things. Do crazy things. And you will see God change people's lives. When you go and you fill up your car, look around you. Who's busy filling up their cars around you? And also, Lord, is there anyone you want me to fill their tank today? Is there anyone that you want me to bless, Lord? And when you're, you know, these are little, th- like there's nothing that can really go wrong there. I've never seen someone angry at me for blessing them. I've never seen someone freak out at me for blessing them. And then there are other times when you may just walk around and God can give you a word. You don't need to necessarily financially just bless people. Sometimes he'll just give you a word for someone, right? And be like, hey, I I don't know what's going on in your life. I know this is random, but hey, is there anything I can pray for you for? Because I really have a care for you. That can be a stranger. If, if someone walked up to you that way, what would you think? You'd probably be like, wow, I mean... That's kind of you, right? So it's it's just it's simple things like this that allows us to be the light he called us to be. So, brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining me here tonight. I hope that this has been a blessing to you. Please remember that we are live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Please text Yeshua to 94000. And you can get text updates to when we go live again next time in the future. Please share this video with your friends on your Facebook feeds and email it to them. Do what you need to get this word out because I believe that's important. Thank you for being with me and I'll see you guys in the next video. Many blessings and shalom.